0: Coming up on the Get Lean E Clean podcast. Um, at the end of the day, like you know, you gotta have protein, uh, but you don't want to underconsume fats. And a ketogenic diet—if you're trying to optimize from a ketogenic standpoint—you need to make sure you're consuming enough dietary fat, even if you have stored fat to lose. Um, that's just going to be optimal from a, a fat adaptation standpoint. Um, so I've, I've tried to kind of speak out against that, but it's it's been interesting to see this massive push away from fat in ketogenic circles because it's just like, that's I mean, the there's, so many, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's right. so many subunits sub of what keto is now. There's all these definitions now. There's, there's a lot of confusion in which I feel is kind of bastardizing what the ketogenic diet is and always has been. Uh, so that's been a little frustrating to see unfold.
1: Hello and welcome to the get lean E clean podcast. I'm Brian Grinn, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was five, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week I interviewed CEO of keto savage, Robert Sitz. We discussed how he started his keto brick company, how much protein is optimal, the key to creating a great sleep environment, how to get fat adapted and is one tip to get your body back to what it once was. This was my second time around with Robert and we pretty much touched on all things keto. So I really know you're going to enjoy this one. I did too. And thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome to the get lean, E clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and I have a returning guest, Robert Sykes on CEO of, uh, Keto brick, right? All things keto,
0: probably you're pretty much, right? Mm. Yeah, man. I appreciate the opportunity to be back on a second time around. I was scoping out your website and you've totally revamped your website since the last time I've seen it. It all looks really good, man. You're, you're killing it right now.
1: Oh, thank you. And actually, I was scoping your website out and it looks like you revamped everything as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, I think I did that this early this year. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to make it all a little bit more a little bit more professional look, a little bit more of a resource as opposed to just a landing page. So yes,
1: indeed. Yeah. I noticed you have like some guided workouts. Um, you also, uh, offer coaching and then there's a kitchen aspect with
0: recipes, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. I basically want to do like a one-stop shop for anybody that needs anything keto, especially as it relates to bodybuilding, uh, body recomposition. So yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I love it. And, uh,
1: well, before we dive into a bunch of different topics, I actually, I think I found out about you through your keto brick. Um, and I, I know you, that's been a, a, a great journey for you. Maybe tell the uh, listener a little bit about how that came about.
0: Yeah. So the bricks were, they were never meant to be a product uh, that I sold. It was something that I made kind of out of my own necessity back in 2017 when I was going through my first ketogenic competition prep uh, for a bodybuilding show. And I just needed a, you know, this was back in 2017, so it was before there was any products on the market. I just needed a really good, high-quality, uh, nutrient-dense uh, macro bar that fit the, the ketogenic macro distribution that was ideally shelf-stable and wouldn't cause any bloat or GI discomfort on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of set out to craft my own products because there wasn't anything out there. And lo and behold, the keto brick came to be, and it just kind of took off. There's a lot of popularity and excitement around it. And there's been a demand for it ever since. So we just rolled up our sleeves and started production and we've been making them ever since. That's awesome. And for that to come
1: about just through your own self-experimentation, what are some of the things that you've learned? um, Because I know that space is not an easy space. uh, The health bar, if you want to call it the health bar space. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you've learned over the last, what, like four years?
0: Yeah, well, we, one thing that we've done different compared to most health bars is that we've kept all the production in house. Like most companies will outsource to a, a manufacturer, a co-packer, um, because it's less overhead expense, less headache for them. Um, and they can mostly just focus on the marketing and the promotion. Uh, for us, since there's nothing else on the market like it, I didn't want to outsource this because then you'd run the risk of the co-packer, you know, decreasing the quality of the ingredients and trying to improve their margins. Uh, and the only way to really maintain 100% uh, integrity in the ingredients was to do it ourselves. Uh, so we basically just bottled the kitchen equipment. Um, we were we started out making these things in our house. Then we started leasing a commercial kitchen space by the hour. Then we started leasing three separate commercial buildings. And now we just purchased this massive building that we've just recently moved into um, here in Northwest Arkansas. So we, we've kept all the production uh, under our own roof from the very beginning, I have 100% oversight of everything that goes into the bricks, and we just make sure that it's 100% every single time. Yeah, that's great. Now, you have a bunch of different flavors,
1: um, and uh, I like to use them strategically. How, how do you recommend using the keto bricks for individuals that are just getting started with it?
0: Yeah, so I mean, it, it all just depends what everyone's you know unique calories and macro distribution looks like. I typically do a little bit higher fat distribution, and I'm taking in quite a few calories. Like my maintenance intake is probably around 3,000 calories a day. So I'm anywhere between 3,000 and 3,500. So I'll typically eat one whole brick a day uh, and I'll do two meals. So I'll typically have half a brick with my first meal around lunchtime and my other half uh, with dinner. And that's pretty much how I get my fat macros in. That combined with a good quality meat source, protein source, and I pretty well hit my my goal intake for the day.
1: And on that note, how did you come about with, I'm always curious, you know, cause I actually, one of the topics I want to talk about was calories and counting calories. And is it important? And, um, it's something that I don't really do. I, I sort of just sort feel it out during the day as far as how much I should eat and you know, how satiated I am. How do you, how did you come about for yourself? You know, you said 3000 to 3,500, and I'm sure it varies depending on if you're training for something, but how did you come about that number?
0: Yeah. So mostly just trial and error, self-experimentation. Like if you are happy with how you look, if you're healthy and you're following a healthy, you know, well-formulated ketogenic diet, you can be fairly intuitive with your intake. You can just listen to your body's hunger and satiety signals, stop eating when you're full and eat when you're hungry. And that works really, really well for, for many, many people. Um, I can do that when I'm in more of a maintenance phase, but when I have a very specific goal in mind, whether that's leaning down for a competition or trying to ensure that I'm in a surplus for a building phase, I'll typically track my intake uh, to get things dialed in, especially when I'm in a cut. um, Because when you're you're trying to get to sub 5% body fat, you can't really do that intuitively because you're going to intuitively just be hungry and want to eat more. Right. Uh, and if you do that, you're not going to get to that that level of leanness. Um, so I'll track very, very strategically when I'm, when I have that specific goal at hand. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, just to establish my 3,000, 3,500 maintenance intake is I'll just gradually titrate calories up until I start to notice some adverse effects, uh, you know, more fat gain relative to lean mass gain. And that's where I'll kind of know that I've exceeded my, my maintenance intake basically it? Gotcha. And are you doing for
1: your, uh, ma- uh, managing your body composition? Are you doing like a DEXA scan or something like that?
0: Yeah. DEXA scan in body scan, caliper test. Plus I just, I've done this so long now I'm really in tune with my body. I, I know based off of how I look in the mirror, you know, what my body fat percentage is at any given point, usually. And then I'll, uh, you know, that'll put me within about two percentage points. And then I can do a DEXA scan to hone it in even more. Okay. So obviously you're in a, a, a weight gaining mode right now you're putting on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll be in a building phase until probably November of next year. Oh. And then I'll start cutting down for the next competitive season. Gosh. Gotcha. Okay. So a whole year of weight of, um, of, uh, putting on how many, how much, how many pounds are you, do you plan on putting on? Uh, it's going to be different for everybody. Once you've been lifting for quite some time, it's harder to put on just sheer mass year after year mm-hmm. because you have that muscle maturity. You've got, uh, your body's so used to that stimuli of training, you don't want to get a, you know, get those newbie gains indefinitely. Um, so I'm happy if I put on a couple pounds of muscle, a solid muscle a year. Um, and that's like legitimate lean muscle tissue, not, you know, fluctuations in water weight. That's going to show higher lean mass. Um, but yeah, if I, if I put on a couple pounds of muscle a year, I'm happy. Okay. So, and, um,
1: so you're doing this and then when is your next competition?
0: Uh, probably like April of 2023. I think I've got a show lined up then. Um, and I'll probably try and have a few shows pretty close together so that I can just capitalize on that cutting phase because it takes, you know, four to six months worth of time to get to that level of conditioning. And then I'll stay there for a very finite period of time and I'll start reversing back up to a, a healthy maintenance, and then eventually a surplus. Uh, so, yeah, I'll probably start dieting down in November of next year and then compete probably April of 2023. Now, when you're doing your building
1: phases, you're, you mentioned you have two meals a day. Do you sometimes increase the, t- the, the amount of meals you have per day to, to put on the weight as well?
0: Yeah. If I'm, if I'm doing, if I'm kind of a, a more aggressive building phase and I'm, you know, 3,500 calories or better, then I'll typically break that into three meals a day because, you know, yeah. getting 3,500 calories in two meals is just a lot of food in one sitting.
1: Yeah. That's what I noticed. I usually have on, you know, for maintenance, I'm I'm not training for anything like you, but. I usually do two, two meals a day for me is good. Uh, occasionally one, but uh, I find with one that it, like, like you mentioned, it's tough to get the, the right amount of protein that you want um, for the, for the day, especially if it's, if, if you,
0: you know, if it's a workout day, obviously as well. Mm-hmm. Now that, that contrasts that with a cutting phase and I'll typically do like an OMAD approach. Right. So I'm only eating One meal a day, oftentimes when my calories get much lower uh, and to me, that's more sustainable and more, enjoyable than having just multiple tiny meals throughout the day. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I find, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, more productive when I, when I, when I'm not eating during the day, I feel like I could do other things. And, um, you know, uh, I like to do all, if I, if I do it, put, add carbs into my meals, I'll, I'll do them on the back end of the day. How do you, how do you, um, what
0: type of carbs do you add into your meals? If any, uh, not really any, I mean, I'll probably yeah. take in, you know, 12 to 15 grams of total carbs a day, just from trace sources. There's some in the, the keto bricks. Um, there's some in like the vegetables that I eat, but I don't really consume anything with the intention of eating it for the carbohydrates it contains. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Yeah. I remember that from last time <laughs> I've, I, I've, I've become, yeah, I, I feel like once you've gone low carb, um, going back the other way, it's, I don't know. I I don't feel like it's necessarily a thing. I mean, you're seeing this with some and this is maybe another topic, but you're seeing this with some of the individuals who are like carnivores and and you know like, you know, Paul Saladino and people who are starting to add in some carbs. Maybe they had some, you know, effects maybe their thyroid or whatever. Is there sometimes do you add in like honey or anything like that or have you kept it pretty low carb the whole time? I've uh,
0: been low carb the whole time. I haven't had a carbohydrate meal in probably 7 years or better. Mm-hmm. Um and I think a lot of these, these issues that you see people you know arguing in favor of introducing carbs like fruit and honey from a hormonal standpoint mm-hmm. often stems from them chronically under eating to begin with. If people are consuming adequate calories and have a building phase, um, not to say they have to be a bodybuilder by any means, but just simply consuming at a surplus for a time, that usually does wonders to regulate their, their hormones and their metabolism. And they don't really have the need. Uh, there's no need for the, the inherent increase in carbohydrates to improve that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes
1: sense. And um, is there a certain uh, protein um, amount that you that you target every day? Because that's always something I, I hear. I mean, obviously, high, high, high protein is becoming a I, I keep hearing it more and more as a favorable thing. Obviously, I always tell a lot of my clients to prioritize that for each meal. Is there certain uh, a protein amount
0: that you'd like to target? Um, So a good rule of thumb is to just be consuming one gram of protein per pound of lean mass kind of as a baseline Mm -hmm. and then go up from there based off of, you know, what your goals are. If you're training heavily and things of that nature, Um, there's occasionally times where I'll dip below that, but it's only for a very, very, very finite period of time during the last few weeks or month of my competition prep in which I'm just taking calories very, very low. Um, but then I keep my dietary fat relatively high, you know, all things considering so that my my body is not really catabolic from a muscle wasting standpoint. So I can tolerate that lower protein for that very short period of time without any adverse effects. So one gram of protein per lean mass, correct? Yeah. Now, I'll typically go quite a bit north of that. Um, like right now in my building phase, I weigh about 175 pounds. I'm typically eating at least 200 grams of protein a day um, you know, with, with the, the building phase that I'm in, but yeah, I don't see any benefit in people consuming under one gram of protein per pound of lean mass, unless it's for a very strategic, you know, short-term thing, like, you know, in the context of that competition prep protocol, Uh, but just for a day-to-day sustainability standpoint and just maintenance, there's no need to go beneath that.
1: Okay. And then, yeah, what per one gram of lean mass. So if you weigh, let's just say 170, you're not going to be 170 of lean mass. Obviously you're going to maybe right. be, let's just say 140 of lean mass and that would right. be a target. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, and you get some of that protein obviously from your keto bricks, which, uh, you know, it, the, the nice thing about the keto bricks, you know exactly what you're getting, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. And then you probably add in a steak or something like that to get the rest. in.
0: Yeah. I eat a lot of, uh, a lot of red meats, a lot of ground beef, a lot of, um, steak, a lot of eggs, um, some fish, but yeah, I pretty much get a pretty varied, varied source of protein. Um, but I'm definitely a fan of the ruminants, you know, like the red meat, the deer, I do a lot of hunting. So wild game also. So you, you eat nose to tail pretty much. Yeah. For the most part, I mean, I, I certainly try to, uh, to consume everything, especially if I harvest it. If I, if I kill deer, I'm taking everything I can off of that. Um, and I'll eat a lot of organ meats. I don't like organ meats though. Yeah, I do. I actually
1: recently, I just, my, my wife made, uh, liver and onions. I thought it was really good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you make it the right way. I mean, I I know, you you know, obviously you don't want to overcook any of this stuff because it takes some of the nutrients out of it, but, um, it was, I would have it every week.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Liver is really good. Um, I've been doing a lot of, uh, like beef tongue is actually pretty good. It tastes like when you shred that up, it it tastes really, really good. Um, but yeah, liver, liver is a, a pretty good recipe. The main thing is just not to overcook it. Like you said, I mean, a lot of that, uh, especially liver is fairly lean. So if you overcook, it, it just becomes very chewy, chewy and right. not near as desirable. Very tough.
1: Yes. <laughs> and you're the second person to say that they've enjoyed tongue um, on my podcast. Actually, I had a, um, a guest on James Berry. Have you heard mm-hmm. of the company called Pluck? Have you heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had him in my
0: podcast as well. Oh. That Pluck seasoning is amazing, by the way. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know what? It's great. It is great. I've been putting it on my eggs and mm-hmm. um, it
0: does well. It does well on fish too. Yeah. It's really good. It's got, um, he calls it the umami flavor, I guess is how you say it. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's, a but yeah, it's got a very, very deep flavor
1: profile. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a nice product. And and just like yours, which was first to market, no one really had anything like it. His, is I've never seen anything, you know, like an organ based seasoning. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen that in the market at all.
0: Yeah, no. What he's doing is good. I mean, I hope he hope he keeps killing it, and uh, there continues to be a demand for it. Yeah,
1: and um, okay. And then on another note, we were talking a little bit before. Um, what is your What are your thoughts? Obviously, uh, and, and you mentioned it, like the low fat keto um, movement that's going on a little bit now. Tell me a little bit about what's
0: what's what differing opinions are regarding fat. Yeah, so it, it's been interesting to see this unfold because you know, I, I got into the keto space a long time ago. It was like seven years ago or so, and there wasn't really much content around keto. When I started putting out content, there's a few, few people, but there wasn't that much. Um, so I've kind of seen the evolution of the ketogenic diet and community unfold over the past six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when when I first got into it, it was all about, uh, you know, kind of more of a therapeutic ketogenic approach. So very, very high fat, uh, lower protein, um, and relatively low carbs, but still quite a lot of, you know, vegetation, fibers, vegetables, um, and for a while there, people were scared of protein. They were scared of the word gluconeogenesis and they would underconsume protein, which obviously isn't optimal. And I kind of fought against that. And now the pendulum has swung so far the other direction that people are starting to become fearful of fat and they're giving protein a halo and consuming protein in excess and, and not enough dietary fat. And I've tried to fight against that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, like, you know, you got to have protein, uh, but you don't want to underconsume mm-hmm. fats. And a ketogenic diet. If you're trying to optimize from a ketogenic standpoint, you need to make sure you're consuming enough dietary fat, even if you have stored fat to lose. Um, that's just going to be optimal from a, a fat adaptation standpoint. Um, so I've, I've tried to kind of speak out against that, but it's it's been interesting to see this massive push away from fat in ketogenic circles because it's just like that's I mean the there's so many yeah there's, there's <laughs> right. so many sub sub units of what keto is now. There's all these definitions now. There's there's a lot of confusion in which I feel is kind of bastardizing what the ketogenic diet is and always has been. Uh, so that's been a little frustrating to see unfold. Yeah. And I wonder why that's coming about. Maybe
1: it's just another way for people to make money <laughs> to probably. sell different products, right? Like it's because um, obviously when the whole keto craze came and it's still there um, all these products that probably aren't the best things to have, you know, are hit the market and people thought, oh, well, it's healthy. It says keto on it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy, right?
0: Yeah. I feel like a lot of people uh, that were, you know, the coaches, the, the influencers, the, the people on the, on the tip of the spear in the health and nutrition circles were very much so the bro dieters and the flexible dieters and the people that, that did traditional high protein uh, carbs still and very low fat. And then keto came and made all this, you know, commotion and gain all this momentum. And a lot of these people either, you know, talk out against keto very very hard, or they started to adopt a ketogenic approach, but then kind of had their own traditional bro split on it. Um, and now that they've kind of gained some traction by leveraging a ketogenic approach, I feel like they're starting to kind of return to their roots of more of a higher protein, lower fat, uh, you know, baseline. And I feel like again, nothing, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you can you can lean out, you can lose body fat, you can get healthy with a variety of diets, but I feel like blurring the definition so much so that nobody really knows what's what anymore, uh, what's up and what's down is just confusing the general public and not really doing anybody any favors.
1: Right. Because when you're confused, you never really do anything. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, what would be your arguments for having a higher fat diet, and, um, higher saturated fat and healthy fat diet, as opposed to, you know, what, what's happening maybe a little bit in the keto space where people are going away from that?
0: Yes. I mean, protein is, like I said, incredibly important, but protein is not a great substrate for energy. Uh, you can get your energy through carbohydrates. You can get your energy through fat. Uh, if you're keto adapted, you can get your energy through protein through gluconeogenesis, but it's not an efficient process. So your body's ability to generate energy from gluconeogenesis from protein is never going to be optimal from an energy substrate standpoint. Uh, So if people are trying to eat carbs, then it would stand a reason that they would need less dietary fat enough to function properly, um, but less so than if they were taking a fat adapted approach. And again, if people want to go the carbohydrate direction, and they're not insulin uh, resistant and they they function great, then more power to them. But if you're trying to optimize from a fat adapted or ketogenic standpoint, you obviously don't want to have a whole bunch of carbohydrates in there kind of diluting things, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to have so little dietary fat that your body's inefficiently using protein as the primary fuel substrate. Uh, So it's been, I mean, for me, I've always encouraged people to eat ample calories uh, so that they can fuel their body properly. There's been this massive push for just incredibly low caloric intake and chronic under eating, And, you know, you see this a lot with the, you know, protein sparing, modified fast crowd who recommends sub 1000 calories on a regular basis. That's just not enough food to really function optimally with. So if you're eating ample calories and you're eating enough protein, then it makes sense to make up the remaining calorie balance with quality dietary fats. Yeah. And if you're not, let's say an individual is not having a keto brick, where can they get
1: those fats? Obviously you can get them from having, you know, a ribeye obviously has healthy fats in it. Um, and things like that, but where else could they get their fats from?
0: Yeah, all kinds of sources. Like uh, avocado is a really popular one. Any um, of the mono and saturated fats, olive oil, avocado oil. Uh, I do a lot of um, you know animal fats, like like duck fat is really good. Uh, pork lard is really good. Beef beef tallow is really you'll, good. You'll cook in that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just yeah. I, I choose fender cuts of meat. Um, and if you're sourcing the animals from a good quality, you know, place that that's consuming a good you know, meal plan, uh, like if they're getting, if they're grain grass fed, grass finished, uh, they're going to have a more favorable fatty acid profile in the actual animal fat as well. So it all kind of gets upregulated.
1: What is your opinion around, um, like chicken? Is that something that you have? Cause, um, I would put red meat ahead of chicken all day, uh, just from a nutrient profile. And, um, uh, you know, just, I think a lot of times with chicken, it, you can have you know a high omega six profile as well. Is, is that what are your thoughts around chicken and is that something you have in your diet?
0: Yeah, so chicken and and pork uh, both are are both monogastric animals, kind of like us humans. Um, so basically, they're kind of more of a they are what they eat kind of scenario. So if they're eating poor quality food, that's going to be trans, you know, carried over into the their their food, like their their muscle tissue, which we're then eating. Uh, whereas like a, a ruminant, like a cow or a deer, they're going to be able to eat. Uh, a little bit lower quality food and kind of upregulate that nutrition as opposed to being just, a they are where they eat scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always try and make sure that if I'm eating a lot of chicken or pork, it's coming from a good quality source that is, you know, free range chicken. Um, eventually we're going to start raising our own chickens. So I'll know for sure where my food's coming from. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, sourcing of, of the food that we eat and knowing what, what they eat is definitely important. How do you cook your eggs? Uh, I, like, I like fried eggs, simple fried eggs. You know, I'll put some cast iron, uh, I'll cook them in a cast iron skillet, put some olive oil down and just fry them up. Okay. Cause I,
1: cause that's another thing Like, uh, you know, you, you hear like scrambled eggs or, uh, omelets and things. When you break up the yolk, you, you tend to lose a lot of the nutrient profile of it. And I was looking into maybe poaching them or doing something different with them.
0: Yeah. Poaching is good. I, mean, I just prefer scrambled eggs. I do like an over easy, so, uh, or not scrambled eggs, but fried eggs. So I'll do an over easy and then I'll put that over top of a, you know, plate of ground beef or something of that nature. And then that yolk just helps flavor all the, all the rest of it, <laughs> all this food
1: talk. And yeah, maybe we'll switch topics because I'm still fast <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, let's actually touch on what's your opinion, uh, uh, about micro workouts. Um, this is something that I've adapted into my workout routine. Um, And I'm curious, you know, obviously you've been in bodybuilding for a long time because I was actually just did a little trip with my wife because we just got married last year and we went on like a a delayed honeymoon in California. So I didn't, I've been using, I had him on my podcast a few times, the X3 um, Mm -hmm. and and for the last year and a half for the quarantine, I've been using that and just doing quick, hard workouts with that. And it's been great actually. Um, But it was sort of nice to get back to like a traditional gym and doing some of the traditional lifts that I used to do. Um and I worked out longer because I was, you know, sort of on vacation, had more time. Uh, but I'm just curious, how do you go about your workouts and 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 your belief sort of in these, you know, micro workouts?
0: I, mean, I think micro workouts are great. I think any movement uh and stress and stimulus towards the muscle is better than no stress and stimulus towards the muscle. So if you're you know cramped for time, uh you you don't have the space, you don't have a gym, then simply getting something in. With a micro workout is is most definitely better than getting nothing in. Um, I prefer like a you know traditional bodybuilding style um, workout in which I'm training for an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Usually not quite two hours. Um, usually I can get a workout in a solid hour and fifteen minutes. Um, and I'll typically do a body part split in which uh, I've got a targeted muscle group that I'm, I'm really focusing on that day that workout and i'll try and have a mix of you know more of a hypertrophy style training where i've got a little bit lighter weight with a little bit more repetitions and then i'll also throw in some heavy uh you know compound primary movements in there with a little bit less repetition but heavier weight just to kind of stimulate those deep muscle tissue fibers more so than i would if i was doing a lighter weight um so kind of pretty traditional when it comes from a training standpoint
1: yeah That's what I figured, um, you would say. And, and, and that's how I lifted it for a long time. And I I think it's good to mix it up. And like you said, any movement is better than no movement. Um, and I'm curious when you say, um, how many reps are you doing for hypertrophy? Are you doing like eight to 12 or 12 to 15 in that range?
0: Yeah. Like when I've got, uh, when I'm doing, you know, more of a hypertrophy focus, I'll try and do between about 10 and 15 reps. Um, And then when I'm doing like a, like a heavy deadlift set, for instance, I'll typically cap it at about uh, six or eight reps. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Makes sense. And uh, as far as sets, are you doing like around three to four sets in that range?
0: Yeah, normally four sets. uh, If I'm doing, if I'm doing lighter repetitions or fewer repetitions and heavier weight, I'll oftentimes do more sets uh, so like deadlift squats, I'll go as high as, you know, I'll sometimes do like 10, 12 sets total, just progressively getting heavier and heavier. Got it. Okay. Um, and then
1: thoughts around, um, like blood work people should get, maybe if they're starting out, you know, a lot of my clients, I'll do a DEXA scan and are there certain, is there certain recommended blood work that you, that you do for yourself or, or for your clients?
0: Yeah, I, I recommend. I mean, if people have the means to getting like a, a full comprehensive panel done every six months, is a really good practice to get into. I um, need kind of take my own advice on that. It's been a while since I've gotten my last hormone panel, uh, lipid panel. But yeah, a fully comprehensive hormone panel and lipid panel is always good. A C reactive protein uh, test would be good. Uh, the A one C is a good test. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've been I've been trying to find a good way of doing this that I can you know, scale and kind of keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Dave Feldman just came out with his own testing, uh, blood test panel company. So I'm going to look into that. But here lately, what I've been doing is I'll just go to uh, uh, directlabs.com, purchase, you know, whatever whatever panels I want to get. And then I'll get those tests drawn at like a Quest Diagnostic Center. And then I'll keep track of all that with um, a software called Heads Up Health. Yeah, I was just looking at that. I was going to bring that up. Do you like that Heads Up Health? I was, it keeps it all in one and spot one spot, right? Yeah, I like that a lot. And it, it's it goes beyond just the, the blood panel. So you can actually sync a lot of your wearables, like how you can sync your O-ring or you know your macro tracker. And the, the beauty of that is that you can kind of chart all these things that are normally not, you know, syncing and talking with one another, but you can chart out uh, those over a graph to see, you know, what's correlated or not. So like I can use my O-ring and then track that with my macro tracker. And I can see that if, hey, my calories are down pretty low, like in a cut, and my sleep starts to wane, sleep quality, they're probably correlated there. Yeah, really cool. That's neat. So it sort of syncs all your
1: devices into one. <laughs> exactly. We have so many wearables now, and you don't know what to uh, keep track of. I, I, I've, yeah. I've, I've gone, i gone, I have mixed feelings on the wearables. I, I think I think there, there's a. it's good to get a baseline to see where you're at, but it's like the only person that knows best is probably how you feel, right? Like on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, there, there's, I, I, I totally agree with you. There's, there's um, a certain demographic of people that they'll put full faith in these wearables, and if the wearable says, "Hey, look, you, you should take it easy today. Don't train. Don't do anything. You know, exhaustive," then they take that as the word of God. They don't lift a <laughs> finger. And that, to me, is a little bit. Uh, that's putting too much power in this device. You know, like I, I try and always focus first and foremost on how I feel, and then if that just happens to align with what my wearable says, then, well, then, then great. And you're using the aura Ring. Is that right? Yeah, I've got the aura Ring. I've, I've contemplated getting the Garmin watch uh, more so from like a, a GPS coordinate standpoint for like when I'm out hunting. Um, but I have not used the Garmin watch.
1: Okay, yeah. The only one oh, I've used do you use um, uh, CGM?
0: You yeah, need, yeah. I played it? around with the, uh, the NutriSense CGM and I've done several two-week stints of, of using it to kind of see how things affect the numbers. And that's pretty cool. I like that. yeah. And that's a continuous glucose monitor. I did the same
1: thing. I did it for a couple of weeks and I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, I don't know if I need this on me all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, once you get a feel for it, cause I don't know about you, but like, I'm a pretty, I eat the same stuff, you know, I'm yeah. pretty boring. Right. So it's like, how much feedback do I need if I'm eating the same thing almost every day?
0: Yeah. Same, same with me. I mean, my, my diet doesn't really change too much on a day-to-day basis. Now I can see there being a benefit to the CGM when I'm doing a competition prep or I'm, I'm strategically manipulating one variable of my nutrition. Um, and for people that don't really know what foods affect them, I think that would be an incredibly valuable tool. Uh, but once you kind of have that figured out and you're able to be a little bit more intuitive, um, then probably don't get near as much value from it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And
1: I use the, the whoop um, and I, I, the whoop is nice. Um, you know, I think it's good to track sleep. Um, mm-hmm. But again, how do you feel like, um, how do you go about getting optimal sleep? Cause I obviously it's like everyone that I have on my podcast is like, okay, what's, what should we do to change our health? Well, let's, opti- you I'd know, Rod Wolf, Rob Wolf on, we talked a lot about sleep. Um, what are some of the things that you do to get optimal sleep?
0: Uh, so my, my sweet spot's about seven hours a night and I wake up usually around three or four in the morning. Oh, right, uh, so I typically enough. go to bed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I wake up pretty early. So I typically go to bed around 8 uh, PM, um, which is, you know, pretty early by most people's standards, but Mm -hmm. I wind down by 8 PM. That kind of works out pretty well from a circadian rhythm and and natural sunrise sunset standpoint as well. Um, at least as far as my bedtime is concerned. I was going to
1: say, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Your sun is rising at three in the morning. Where are you living?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll do that. And then, uh, one thing that I found to be a couple just, you know, quick fixes for sleep is I'll turn my thermostat way down to like 63, 64 degrees. Uh, it's total darkness. It's completely blacked out in my bedroom, um, and I'll I'll use the mouth tape. So I use micropore tape, and I'll just tape over my mouth, uh, which forces me to to breathe nasally throughout the night, um, and as opposed to breathing through my mouth. And that that's been pretty pretty helpful.
1: Interesting. See there. See you, you hear something new. I mean, I've heard of so use you, you put mouth tape on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, uh, I was. You know, I learned this through Mike Mutzel. Uh, basically what happens is when you, when you don't have that mouth tape um, or if you're prone to opening your mouth while you sleep, your tongue moves and partially blocks your, your airway, um, which is going to cause you to pretty much subconsciously arise from a deep sleep. So because um, you're, you're kind of moving and shifting, try to open up that airway. So your tongue's moving. It's just not optimal from a deep sleep. Whereas if your mouth is taped and you're breathing through your nose throughout the entire night. Uh, And that, that airway is never blocked and you're able to fall into a deeper sleep and stay there a little bit longer. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: I've heard of that even for like walking and stuff, right? I mean, like you want to really focus
0: on breathing through your, through your nose. Yeah. I don't take my mouth when I'm just walking around, but uh, I do. Can I use that for my wife? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I do definitely try and uh, breathe through my nose whenever possible. I've tried to go through entire training sessions and only breathe through my nose,
1: which is very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried that. And it's like, after a while, I'm like, okay, I don't, you know, I need to breathe. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. Maybe the more you do it, you get used to it. Yeah,
0: that's that's the case for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I do agree on creating a sleeping environment, like you mentioned, dark, cold, you know, now that it's getting colder in Chicago here, um, I don't even need to do that as far as creating much of an environment, it, it gets pretty cold in, in where we live because we have sort of higher ceilings. So the heat mm-hmm. all goes up and uh, yeah, it's definitely makes sleeping a lot easier. That's a good hack.
0: I've found about investing in one of those um, uh, chili pads or, or one of the eight sleep beds that has the temperature therm- thermal regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't been able to pull a trigger on one of those yet. I haven't, haven't been able to justify it. Yeah. I mean, we moved into this to a
1: new, a new place, not that long ago. And I looked into that mattress. I never got it, but, but I do like our mattress. It, it is cooling. It's not like a cooling mattress, but, um, all in all, it's been good. I think keeping a dark, cool, cool environment is so, is so key. Um, what about morning routines? I mean, you're up three thirty four, Um, and I'm obviously a big routine guy. I think we, we may have even touched on the last time we talked, but I would love to hear what your morning routine is like.
0: Yeah, so right now, I pretty much uh, I wake up, I read a little bit. Um, and then after I read for 30, 40 minutes, I start uh, writing. So I do a lot of my, my creative writing work in the morning. I'm writing a book right now. So I'll allocate nice. like an hour or so to work on that. If I'm not writing, I do a lot of my client work in the morning. Um, so I'll do that. Uh, but but normally, I'll do that until about uh, six o'clock or so, which is when the sun starts to peak out over the horizon and I'll have coffee with my wife on the front porch, watch the sun come up mm. and just kind of plan the day. And then we, from there, head to the compound here and start, we have a morning meeting with all of our employees and we just start, start, tackling making, the day. start making those bricks. Exactly. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, that's great. I, I get up, I, I take my dogs for a walk, and then I come back and usually do some reading. Mm-hmm. What type of books, what's, what book are you reading right now?
0: Uh, so I'm reading a couple, I'm reading, um, uh, tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And then I'm also reading, I just finished, uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 more rules for life. That was a good one. Mm -hmm. And then I'm reading, um, Steven American Buffalo book currently. Interesting. So you got a few going on. Yep. Yep.
1: I know you mentioned, uh, a little bit. I watched, I saw one of your blogs about that. Did you have the Sam Apple on your podcast? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was a really good conversation. He's the one that wrote, uh, ravenous. And that was a, I mean, that book was, was a very good book. Uh, so I wanted to get him on the show and just kind of talk about the motivation behind him writing it.
1: And that was regarding the, the star starvation diet in the, in the Holocaust camp, um, concentration camps, right. Was that what the book it was? wasn't so
0: much the starvation diet so much as it was, uh, like, you know, it was all about Otto Warburg and, uh, the Warburg effect and how that all came to be from, a. uh, you know, how cancer, uh, metabolizes, uh, sugar and glucose basically. So very, very interesting read. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, awesome. And and what
1: would you say to someone starting out, maybe wanting to get into keto, um, and get into even, you know, working out and, you know, we're getting now to the new year, you know, people are going to start setting goals and wanting to sort of, uh, change the way perhaps they, they've done things over the last year. What would you say good first steps of, you know, just first and foremost, maybe
0: getting into sort of a keto style diet. I mean, honestly, just prioritizing nutrient dense, wholesome, single ingredient foods is going to be first and foremost, um, people that are first now, I mean, right now coming into keto, they're going to be incredibly confused by all the the information out there and just the conflicting information out there. Um, yeah. so I think really just kind of buckling down on what is sustainable for them. Like if, if they have, uh, you know, in a, an addictive personality and they have trouble moderating their carbohydrate and processed food intake, then they probably would be better off eliminating those foods and not having it as an option. If they don't do well with certain foods, just taking that out of the equation altogether, um, but always prioritizing, you know, just good quality, wholesome, single ingredient, natural foods is going to be the best bet for anybody. Um, If they're trying to go a ketogenic approach and they're not yet fat adapted, even if they have quite a bit of fat to lose, then making sure to uh, make up that void in calories after the restriction of carbohydrates with dietary fat in the context of also eating enough protein is going to be very important as well. Yeah, and
1: you talk about getting fat adapted. Perhaps we can touch a little bit on that. How long do you think it usually takes someone to get fat adapted? Um, And do you certain like wearables and things like this, like a, a ketone meter or things like this to sort of track that?
0: Um, you don't really have to track it per se. It's kind of nice to track cause it gives you something tangible to, to look at and know that you're on the right direction, um, on the right course. So, you know, testing your blood sugar, testing your blood ketones would be good for people that just don't know what their body's doing with that, with that food yet. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as a length of time is concerned, you, you're going to start producing ketones within about 24 to 48 hours after you stop eating carbohydrates. Um, but simply producing ketones and having a lower blood glucose doesn't necessarily mean you're fat adapted. Uh, usually I would rec- recommend people spend, you know, at least four weeks or better before they start deviating from that. Uh, if they are ever going to deviate from that. Um, mm-hmm. What I've found is that the length of adaptation just keeps getting, I mean, you just keep getting more and more adapted the longer you're doing the ketogenic diet. I mean, I've, been doing this for six or seven years now. And my level of adaptation now is significantly better than it was after doing it for six weeks, which was not as good as it was after doing it for six months. It just keeps getting better. Yeah. And one of the things I
1: find with being fat adapted is energy, energy Mm -hmm. levels, right? Like that's the one thing I noticed to myself is, um, I mean, I'm, I'm big into fasting, intermittent fasting, and, uh, I sort of vary it depending on the day, but like I think I had, we, we had some type of family event and I just felt like I should have something to eat eat there. And I didn't eat anything that I didn't like. I had like a bagel, but like, you know, I had, I think I had, uh, some tuna salad, some, maybe some lox, and some things like that, things that, you know, nothing, you know, nothing that processed, but I felt it after that. Like, it's amazing once you get, um, you know, fat adapted and you get into some fasting, like just how much energy that you can have throughout the day. And if for me, I like to save my bigger, you know, my meals towards the end of the day, not too close to when I sleep, but I think that just goes a long way with just being productive.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, once, once you know what, what feeling good is like, you're <laughs> much more in tune with what feeling poorly is like. Uh, a lot of people just don't allow themselves to feel really good. So they don't have that perspective on that context. But once you do, it's like, wow, I don't ever want to deviate from this because I could feel and function much, much better. Yeah, you just find
1: like you're you're so sensitive to like any little change that you have in your diet. That's not the mean. Like we were just uh, in California for 10 days and you know we're used to cooking every meal. So <laughs> that was definitely like we had great meals, don't get me wrong and it was great. It was just like towards the end I'm like, you know, I wouldn't mind to just make a plain simple steak and mm-hmm. and, and you know cuz even if you're going to a nice restaurant it's like you know, for the most part, they're using a lot of vegetable oils in, in yeah. cooking your food. Um, there were a few times where I did ask if they could cook it in butter. And that's something that everyone could do is, you know, you can, it never hurts to ask, but even these high-end restaurants, they're definitely, I would say majority of them are using cheap vegetable oils to cook it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, you may, you may come across as a bit more Uh, annoying or so to the server, but I think simply just taking control of your own health and not leaning on excuses and just asking. Uh, And then if there, if it's possible to manipulate a few things in the back in the kitchen so that it's more in line with your nutritional goals uh, and healthier lifestyle, then it's totally worth your time and effort. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I think nowadays
1: you you won't sound annoying because I feel like there's so many restrictions just regarding like allergies and things like that. I'm sure the last thing the restaurant wants is, <laughs> is something that go wrong. You know, if you're allergic to some, you know, whether it's nuts or whatever, but I usually just tell them, I say, you know, I just can't have those oils. I have a bad reaction. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, totally. <laughs> and you know, maybe then they'll, they'll change the way they, what they cook in.
0: Absolutely. I feel like the, um, the oils, I mean, that's something that's gotten a lot more in the limelight here lately, which is yeah. good. Um, you know, cause people just assume that all fats were created equal, but really focusing on the types of those fats, which is more inflammatory than others. Um, and kind of drilling down and, and prioritizing the ones that are healthier, I think is, is time well spent for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, you can
1: go a long way just for, I always say, just cook for yourself and just know what you what's in your food. And you know, the people I know, I have some clients and they're eating out all the time and it's like, you know, can you reach optimal health if you're eating out all the time? I don't know. It's probably, it's a good question. You could, You could, you could improve, but I think to really get to maximal health, cooking for yourself is the best way to go.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. agree. And there's a lot more to cooking for yourself than meets the eye too. I mean, you just, it's, it kind of completes the whole circle of life much more. So in my opinion, I'm probably going to get a little poetic with my hunting background, but I feel like knowing where your food comes from, knowing how to prepare that food and just appreciating that entire transition. I mean, that's, that's, that's valuable information.
1: Yeah. And um, I probably asked this last time. This is normally what I asked um, most of my, my guests is um, if you were going to give a tip to individual who wanted to get their body back to what it once was, what what, what one tip would you give that
0: that individual? Um, I think trying to really understand why they want the body they had before in the first place, you know, kind of take more of a mindset approach. A lot of people have goals, uh, but they're not able to execute on those goals because they're not, they, they don't have an, enough weight or significance or importance in their mind, but really kind of fixating on, on the why and then visualizing the process it takes to get there more so than just simply having a goal. Uh, that way you can execute on it on a day-to-day basis once motivation exist, I mean, There's, there's going to be times where you're just simply not motivated to, to eat properly or motivated to, to go to the gym, but having the discipline to execute on those because you have an, a deeper underlying reason as to why you want to, to reach that goal in the first place is going to be key.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I mean, we always talk about all the the how tos, but you know, the whys is that—that's what really drives you. And unfortunately, people wait till a lot of times, you know, they have a health scare Mm -hmm. until they actually take action. Which, you know, at that point, it's probably a little bit too late. Not to say that's not too late, but you should be thinking about it a lot earlier than that. If
0: yeah, totally.
1: All right, Robert. Well, this was fun. (laughs) Yeah, man. Always a pleasant chat with you. yeah, thoroughly enjoy the opportunity. Yeah, and where's the best place for people to find out what you're doing and
0: uh, what's going on in your life? Uh, so any and all things Keto Savage. So ketosavage.com for the website, Keto Savage on social, uh, ketobrick.com for the bricks if they're interested in those. Um, but yeah, Keto Savage. All right, Keto Savage. There he is. Robert,
1: thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Brian. Always it a pleasure, man. All right. Hey, Get Lean, Eat Clean Nation. Are you a man between the ages of 40 and 60 years old looking to lose inches around your waist, have significantly more energy throughout the day and gain muscle all while minimizing the risk of injuries. Well, I'm looking for three to five people to work one-on-one with in my fat burner blueprint signature program, which I've developed by utilizing my 15 years experience in the health and fitness space. This program's designed specifically for those committed to making serious progress towards our health goals over the next six months. We will focus on sleep, stress, nutrition, meal timing, and building lean muscle. If this sounds like a fit for you, email me at brian at BrianGrin.com with the subject line blueprint. That's brian at Briangrin.com with the subject line blueprint. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, E Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine. And I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.